Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 160. If we don't show up every day, then we're going to be missing opportunities that make that possible. So I always, you know, really stress with the, with the team that we got to make sure that we show up. Just showing up is half the battle. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Brian Gidinelli. Brian, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I've got my helmet on and my communicator is uh, switched to go. All right. Great to have you here. Brian Guidinelli owns and runs motorsportreg.com, an online registration service and marketplace that makes it more fun to organize and attend motorsports events. He's helped more than 700 clubs, racetracks, and sanctioning bodies organize, promote, and manage over 3,500 events annually. He's a racer, a championship winner, and a finisher of a 25-hour endurance race. And Brian serves on the board of the directors for Thunder Hill Raceway Park, and he's been quoted and featured in and photographed in numerous automotive magazines and newspapers. Brian, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and your passion for automobiles? Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I do live near Sonoma Raceway. Uh, that's not a mistake. Uh, we moved <laughs> up here a few years ago because I love racing. I love uh, motorsport. And I love the automotive industry. To go back just quickly, you know, as a kid, I grew up in Northern California, so not, not far from where I live today. My dad was a CPA, and so when I was young, I had early access to computers and, and the pre-internet bulletin board systems that were connected by modems. And so I was a techie really early on. And we, we grew up north of uh, Sacramento in the, in the Northern Valley there. I came to the Bay Area for college. Uh, I, again, had more early access to computers and engineering, going to study mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. And I started a design and technology company while I was still in college. The outcome of that, a couple of years later, is I had sort of a chance encounter that led me into the BMW Club, uh, which got me into motorsports directly. It eventually got me into racing. And one thing led to another, and uh, now I have these, these two technology and motorsport companies that I run, uh, which kind of brings all my passions together into one place. Oh, perfect. Well, you and I share something. I got involved with racing on tracks through the BMW Club as well. The club events 
and getting relationships, building relationship with those events is a great way to, to start driving a car fast in a safe manner. So fantastic. As we continue on your inspirational journey here, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Brian, take the wheel. I like to say to myself and to my team that we strive for greatness, but we don't forget to show up. Ah. And, you know, coming from a technology background, so my first company was a design and technology firm, founded it while we were still in college. Uh, It was right around the dot-com boom, so sort of 98 through 2002. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were no shortage of, quote, overnight successes back then, right? And I mean, in many ways, there really were overnight successes back then because people were just throwing around money. Yep. I remember you could go to, we had our first office in Palo Alto, and you could go to lunch and you could just literally hear the VCs handing out cash to uh, people for all kinds of silly ideas. Yeah. And the thing is that even those overnight successes, while they may seem to all of a sudden have this momentum that makes them an overnight success, when you go back and you look, there's always countless, countless hours that have been put in to, to put them into position to have an overnight success. And yes. So much of it is about luck, I guess, uh, although I prefer to say that, that luck is that point where you know, preparation meets opportunity. I, I love that saying. <laughs> I think it's so true because there's – certainly I have a friend that won the lottery actually a couple of years ago, and he's a guy who, who has a reasonable amount of money. So he doesn't need to win the lottery. He plays it for fun, and he won. That is true luck. It's random odds. You know, no one has any real control over, over your odds there. But at least in business, and I think this is true in motorsport as well, Certainly, while good preparation doesn't guarantee you results, without good preparation, good results is, is pretty unlikely. And so I always remind ourselves that while we want to swing for the fences and knock it out of the park, if we don't show up every day, then we're going to be missing opportunities that make that possible. So I always you know, really stress with, uh, with the team that we've got to make sure that we show up. Just showing up is half the battle. I tell my kids that, I've said that you know, so much of it is just showing up, just get there, be there, and get there before the boss is there, and work <laughs> yep. hard and stay until the boss leaves. And that really is half the battle. So I love that quote. It's perfect. And especially for entrepreneurs, it's great how you started your career at such a young age and uh, we're out there doing things. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Tell me that pivotal moment when you knew you were a car guy. I think there's a, a couple of things that are actually quite far apart in my life that got me to where I am today. And the first was as a kid, maybe, I'm not sure how old I was, maybe five to 10. My uncle, uh, uncle who passed away not too long ago, actually, he gave me a model of Mario Andretti's uh, Lotus 77, the, the John Player special Formula oh, One car, the yes. black with the gold stripes. Yep. Uh, beautiful car. And as a kid, it, y- you don't know all the stuff that goes into that. But it's a cool model. Uh, the steering wheel would actually turn the front wheels a little bit. And that sat on my dresser, I mean, all the way until I went off to college. So that was always there as just this sort of thing. And I always had a, a special affinity for that uncle. He was kind of my cool uncle. Mm-hmm. And so this car was this symbolism of like uh, my cool uncle and also motorsports and racing and sort of adrenaline and excitement. And the other piece in my childhood that took me in the car direction was that we would go to the miniature golf courses all the time. Oh, yeah. And always had the go-karts there and always drove the wheels off those carts. <laughs> and, you know, I never had the opportunity to do any actual go-karting. There wasn't a lot of that up in the North State, North California, where we were. But I would drive the wheels off those things. And I thought to myself at a young age, I can recall this, I said, I want to be a race car driver when I grow up. You know, 
you want to be an astronaut, a firefighter, a race car driver, whatever it is when you're a, a young boy. Yep. And I do recall saying I want to be a, a race car driver when I grow up. So that's in my, my young youth. You fast forward 15 years or so, and I'm running my first company, uh, maybe I'm 22, 23, out of college, we're in San Francisco, and I was still driving my first car, the car that I had in high school, it was a, a 1989 Chevy Beretta, and it was uh, not the six-cylinder version, it was the four-cylinder version, mm-hmm. so you know, by no means a race car, uh, and we had this customer out, a guy from a PR firm in Washington, D.C., was one of our uh, design and technology customers. Mm-hmm. And we were driving up the hills in San Francisco, and I didn't give it quite enough gas when I was starting off, and so the car kind of you know, lugged like a stick is uh, prone to do. Yeah. He made this kind of offhanded comment about, given how successful he thought he w- that we were, he would have expected me to be driving a fancier car. Oh. And yeah. I-, I wasn't offended by that in the least. I mean, I'm not a... I, I don't care too much about what other people think, so that in itself didn't bother me, but it did teach me an important lesson at that point in life about how important perception is. Mm-hmm. And so the, the net of that was that we decided we were going to go lease a BMW 3 Series so that when we took customers out, which we did pretty routinely, that we would have a better presentation, you know, just like we would spend untold hours tweaking the design or the code or whatever it was of the product that we wanted to deliver because we wanted to have this great customer experience. Right. We also thought, like, how does that apply to the rest of what we're doing? And that is when we meet the people in person, how do we present ourselves? When we, you know, drive them around, what kind of image are we projecting? Sure. That three series ultimately led me to the BMW Club, as we just mentioned. Um, I did my first track day at, uh, at Sears Point back then, now Sonoma Raceway. Oh, great uh, track. <laughs> phenomenal place, although a very scary place to do your first track day. Oh, I remember uh, yes. we, we read the Shelby Club has a guide to each of the Northern California tracks, and my friend and I were going together for the first time. We read the Shelby Club guide, uh, which is a turn-by-turn description, and it basically said, you know, blind corner, don't lift, walls are close. Uh, blind corner, <laughs> don't lift, walls are close. Yes. And it was uh, a terrifying, terrifying first place. But that is, um, uh, that's for sure my favorite place uh, to drive, one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, it is a great track. Yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of racing vintage cars there, and it's uh, it's fun. But yeah, especially that back straightaway, you don't come out of that corner and go through those sweepers just right. <laughs> By the time you get to the end, you do run out of track and you run into a wall. So yeah, scary well, place. Those, those track days... Those track days led on to uh, a club racing school, and that ultimately led to, to the bio that you introduced today, which is uh, you know diesel truck, big trailer, dedicated race car, shifter cart. Um, I think is it Peter Egan uh, who has the quote about uh, racing makes heroin seem like a vague longing for something salty. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your story was interesting. I worked way early in my career at a company, and we had a lot of vendors calling on us. We were a graphic design and advertising firm. And this one vendor called on us, and he was driving a very nice car. And I remember that the guy I was working with didn't like that. He said, you know, <laughs> that guy's driving way too fancy of a car. He must be charging too much. Yeah. My opinion was the complete opposite. I said, well, he must be really successful. He must be really good <laughs> at he's doing. Don't we want the best on our team helping us produce these products? And So I've always taken a different perspective of that. And plus, I love cars, and he was driving a cool car at the time. So, you know, it's funny. Perception can be good, can be bad. It just depends on where you're coming from. But that's a great story. And, of course, having the clients feel better about the environment they're in is always important as well. So a 3 Series was probably a great choice, too, because understated, if you'd gotten into a 5 or 7, they might have thought that you're charging them too much as well. Well, the funny thing is, back at this time during the dot-com days, 
people used to joke that the 3 Series BMW was the Honda Civic of Silicon Valley. Uh. And so in some ways it was not that fancy of a car, but it was clearly also not the first car you had in high school. So I, I think it was a, a reasonable, I mean, it was certainly the nicest car I had ever driven, but it was not a, it was not a Ferrari. Yeah. Well, probably best. <laughs> yeah. And what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty here. And I'd love for you to share a story with our listeners where you encountered a huge challenge or even a great failure in your career. But the most important part of this is how did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? I went to school for mechanical engineering. And so I'd always had an entrepreneurial angle in my life. I had a a lawn mowing company when I was in junior high. In fact, one of my first experiences really with being in business for yourself was a, a friend in junior high went to sort of an early day Costco and he had bought bulk candy and he would bring that candy to school and sell it at a four X markup. And I thought, that's amazing. Like you can buy a candy bar for a quarter and you can sell it for a dollar. That is amazing. And you Mm -hmm. know, it's almost, it's like, it's an adrenaline rush, a little bit like racing, this thrill of uh, taking something and adding value and uh, finding how you can sell it. So I think for me, although I've always had a technical side and an engineering side, uh, you know, I've gotten an MBA uh, via hard knocks. And so there's been way more mistakes uh, and missteps than there have been correct decisions from the get-go, simply because the way that an engineer sees the world is not really the way the world works. <laughs> so yes. especially during our, our first company, the, the interesting thing about our first company, so we started it while in college, but I didn't start it with college friends. It was actually a completely virtual company back before working remote was was popular. In fact, it wasn't just remote, but the five or six of us who were the core group, we had never met each other face-to-face. We only knew each other via uh, an online interaction. And so we we took this company in sort of a non-conventional way. We turned it into a more conventional operation with an office in Palo Alto initially and then San Francisco. And uh, we had good technology skills, but we didn't have great business skills. And so we learned a lot of this stuff the hard way is Mm -hmm. is the bottom line. So we had a a number of large customers, uh, some of which were in financial services uh, during the dot-com days. And as most people will probably recall, 2001 and 2002 were not a good time for those uh, those organizations. We were improperly leveraged, I will say, which is to say we had a large accounts receivable for some of our financial services customers. And we got burned to the tune of thirty-five dollars or $40,000 by one of them in particular from Ouch. New York. That's a lot of money to me now. It was a lot of money to me back then, especially when I was uh, not quite as sure about where, you know, in the consulting business, you don't always know where the next gig is going to come from, the next check is. Right. And you need those peaks and valleys to, or the peaks rather, to even out the valleys. Right. Um, so, when you, when you have something like that happen, you see the industry kind of cratering around you. There's lots of things that can happen. Ultimately, down the road, we did wind up getting paid, I don't know, 25 cents on the dollar. So we got mm-hmm. something out of it. Yeah. But that lesson taught me a lot about the importance of leverage, the importance of relationships, and the importance to some extent of not letting things fester. You know, I think um, you always hear when people talk about firing that as soon as you fire somebody, it feels so good because you should have done it a long time ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. It's like in your personal relationships, in your business relationships, if something's not quite right and you don't address it head on, what happens later is almost always 10 times worse. Yes. And we probably could have stopped doing work for this company a long time earlier because they had been behind on a few of their payments. And then they're like, well, the check's in the mail, the check's in the mail. And rather than continuing forward, we should have put our foot in the sand 
and say, hey, this is the line we're not going to cross. We need to get paid because that's how we got paid with time and materials. So I, I certainly learned a number of lessons there, but they've unfortunately, many of them have come at the expense of, uh, <laughs> you know, failures of a large scale. I think from there what I've done is I've become much more of a, of a reader uh, and I consume a lot of nonfiction and that's really helped me to not necessarily not make mistakes, kind of like on the racetrack where the goal is to not not make mistakes but it's to recognize the mistake early enough so that you can make an adjustment at which point hopefully nobody else even recognizes that you made the first <laughs> Great analogy. I love that. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do today. I don't know if we do it that great. But if you look at our current business, for example, with Motorsport Reg, I've designed some of the business model around those experiences. So for example, we don't have any accounts receivable in the way that we've set up our model. And that takes the risk out of us getting paid. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'd like to say that I've learned some lessons. I know that I still make mistakes all the time. But um, at least, as long as we don't make the same ones over and over, I feel like we're headed in the right direction. Ah, fantastic. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum, and I'd like for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career, that time when you realized that an idea or a concept was really going to make it, and this is something that's going to work, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. I might not be the right person to answer that, actually. The business that I have today is almost an accident. Mm -hmm. So I had my design firm. We ultimately sold that to a, a larger agency around 2002, and at that point, I kind of went freelance and did some contracting work for a while. And that's when I was first getting involved in motorsport and the track base. Mm -hmm. And frankly, at that point, my desire to go was exceeding my budget to go. So I volunteered with the BMW club here, the Golden Gate chapter, on the driving events team, because if you volunteered, you got to drive for free. And so I thought, hey, that's not a bad gig. I got got some free time and I have not as much free money. So this is the the arrangement we'll have. Mm -hmm. When I started volunteering, though, I found this crazy process of, you know, uh, Excel spreadsheets and paper registration forms and paper checks and envelopes and stamps and all this stuff that for me, coming from this dot-com world was just... Uh, you know, so 1990s. Right. That's kind of where the the idea for the business was. But it wasn't a business at that time. It was really more about how can I take my skills and apply them to this one specific instance of a problem that we have. And then from there, it was like, well, there's a couple other organizations that might want to use this. But I never thought that this would be a business. I thought it would be this kind of nights and weekends thing that I would do for fun. And it would be a tax write-off that would let me go do some racing. And that, you know, that would be kind of the part of my life that it would encompass. Sure. And it's really more by accident or by, there was a latent need for it, but it wasn't quite so obvious up front that it's become the juggernaut that it is today. So it took a a number of years, really until about 2007, of just incremental word of mouth and uh, occasional growth until we said, you know, I think we can actually make a go of this. Let's actually actually think about this in a bigger picture and what can we do with this and can we really take it? So the, the aha moment for at least Motorsport Reg today was really kind of a, hey, let's just help out my local car club, uh, sort of a a genesis. And then the the business wasn't really until 2007 when we looked and said, you know, there is something of a critical mass here, and there are a lot of these organizations. Uh, Maybe we can make a go of this. And so we we took a crack at making it a full-time operation at that point. Uh, Great story. It really is an aha moment. I love the way it evolved and and turned, and you recognized a need, a void in the market, if you will, and you filled it. That's fantastic. We're trying. <laughs> I think now the, the interesting thing is now is because of the relationships we've built, we sit at this very interesting intersection in the industry. So we don't do a lot of work with, uh, with real top-level professional organizations like an IndyCar, NASCAR, things like that. 
we do it mostly with just grassroots, amateur, and sort of semi-professional racing. Uh-huh. But because we work with so many of them, and we work with, let's say, the BMW Car Club, but also the Porsche Car Club. We also work with SCCA. We work with uh, Canadian organizations. We have some uh, groups in Australia and the UK we work with. So we have this sort of interesting macro view into what we call participatory motorsport that few people have. And because of that, while the original business was more of a scratch-your-own-itch kind of solution. Mm-hmm. Now we are starting to see this bigger picture and how all the pieces fit together. And there are over the last 12 to 24 months, I would say, a number of aha moments that are, that are fueling what we're currently working on. So I think maybe we sort of stumbled into it a little bit by mistake. Um, but now that we're here, we're certainly seeing how the pieces fit together. And, and now it's turning on light bulbs uh, every day. In fact, I mean, I have 10 times the number of ideas as we have resources. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good time. Awesome. Time. How about a proudest business or career moment? Is there one in particular that really stands out that you could share with me? One of the things that stands out in my mind most clearly was when we had our first company. The the funny thing, going back to cars and business, when we had the design firm, the bank account we refer to as the Ferrari fund. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the business had nothing to do with motorsports, but personally, my goal was always to have a Ferrari. And so we called the bank account the the Ferrari fund. (laughs) One of the big milestones we reached at some point is we were switching banks, I think, or moving accounts around or something like that. And I I had a cashier's check in my hand uh, when we were taking it from one bank to the other for something like $140,000. And I had never seen that much money on a check. I certainly never held it, and it certainly didn't belong to me. And, and I had a business partner, so it wasn't just mine, but it was, it was ours, right? Right. And to, to hold that much money in my hand was just a, some recognition of the hard work and effort that we've been putting in for the couple of years prior to, to build up this small but you know, meaningful war chest. And we've done a lot more business since then, but that always stands out as kind of a, a proud moment where wow, you've, you've actually generated real value. And it's not so much about the money that we earn, but the money to me represents the value we've delivered for other people. And I think just a, a personal philosophy, if you can deliver tons of value for people, one way or another, you'll get what's coming to you in the end. Oh, yes. That money was just a symbolic representation of all the people that we'd helped and the things that we had done. But it was a really proud moment to say like, man, that's six figures. Uh, that was a, that's a big thing when you're you know, early 20s. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle. I mean, there's no question. The first great car that I had was a uh, E30 BMW M3. Mm-hmm. Classic cult collector car. Oh, yeah. Famous for all of its DTM and rally uh, history. I think they still call it the most winningest touring car in all history. I had that 3 Series BMW that I had leased. It was a E46 at 2002, I think, mm-hmm. uh, 2001. Uh, and I took that to the track a number of times, but at some point I wanted something more dedicated, more serious, and so I found myself a uh, E30 M3. And this one was already set up for the track. It was quite memorable in its appearance because it had the BMW M stripes, which are the orange, purple, and uh, sort of uh, yes. turquoise color, uh-huh. running from the right rear fender diagonally over the top of the car to the left front fender. Nice. So it was a very memorable car, and uh, my friends coined it, they, they used to call it Rainbow Bright, which is <laughs> not the manliest name for your car, yeah. but it was a little bit appropriate. So that was a, that was a great car. I mean, I, I really learned how to drive in that car. such an awesome platform to learn on because it's so neutral, and it's got enough power to go reasonably quick, but not so much power that you, know, you don't have to still hustle through the corners, and that was just a great car. I mean, I learned so much from that car, and it was a ton of fun to drive. It wasn't as much fun to drive 
around the streets of San Francisco. Yes. Uh, with stiff suspension uh, and no no torque, but man, that was a great car. Yeah, those are wonderful cars. What year was it? Uh, in '89. '89, awesome, great. Yep. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? That would be the one. That's the one. Yeah, I kind of thought you'd say yep. that. <laughs> How about yep. current projects? Is there something you're working on these days that really has you excited and fired up? It's exciting. I mean, the last few years we've been seeing uh, 20% growth year over year for Motorsport Reg. Awesome. We're working with a wider and more diverse group of people than ever before, and that's really exciting because we're seeing, we're, we're sort of learning. Uh, I mean, for me, life is all about learning. And so every time we work with a different kind of operation, we learn something new, and that improves our overall process and our overall product. You know, there's some, some sort of macro trends that are going on in the world around, say, mobile access to things. And we're looking right now at how we sort of refactor our business to, to really take what the goal is. Because when you look at the goal of what we do, it's to get people to events where they can have a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nobody wants to run an event. No one wants to register for an event. Nobody wants to do any of those things. What they want to do is they want to attend the event. They want to get there and have a good time. Yep. And so we've been looking at some of these trends over the past couple of years, and we're putting, we've been putting the foundational pieces together so that we can really take our business to the next level. And we're looking at some really exciting stuff. It's kind of too early for me to give details on, but I'm just really excited that, you know, going to your track day or your club race or whatever it is can be as simple as, say, using your phone to board an airplane. Nice. And not just for the attendee, but also for the organizer so that, again, instead of jockeying a spreadsheet, which is the problem that we solved 10 years ago, or spending a lot of time in your web browser or whatever it may be, we want them doing higher value work. And so anytime we can take the low value work, like automating a process or something along those lines, and turn it into the organizer being able to spend time with their attendees who are friends and enthusiasts and uh, just great people to hang out with, like that's where we want it, we want it to be. I think the Porsche Club says it's not about the cars, it's the people. Yes. Something like that is yep. their, is their uh-huh. tagline quote. Yeah. And I think that's totally true. You know, you may stumble into motorsports originally because you like the smell of uh, brake pads and fuel and, and burning tires, but you ultimately stay for the people. And so while we are a technology platform that enables people to get together in a more streamlined fashion, ultimately we're about bringing people together. So we're focused on becoming the number one commerce platform for motorsports, you know, not just registration, but all the pieces for motorsport events and how they fit together. And it's a, a thrilling time. We've never had more computing power in our pockets. We've never had more connectivity. We've never had any of these things until like we do today. And they're opening up these really neat opportunities uh, to innovate. And that's the, the live timing app that we created this last year, Race Hero, is an outgrowth of that. You know, it's uh, mobile timing and scoring for club racing or pro racing events. So not only can you see what's happening on track in real time, but you can check all the results. You can look at the entry list, the schedules, everything, uh, all, from your, all from your phone. You don't have to go walk around a paddock looking for a piece of paper and so forth. Yeah, fantastic. Now, here's a fun question for you. If Brian was a car, what kind of car would Brian be and why? The easy answer is you want to be like a Ferrari or a McLaren. Oh, of course, or, you know, Lamborghini, of course. Who especially knows? with your last name, you know, Italian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, if I were going to be honest, it, well, let me say, if I wanted to be a car, maybe I would want to be a Ferrari. But I think if someone else were going to describe what kind of car they thought I was, the probably more honest answer is something like a, uh, like a Freightliner, like a, a big semi-truck, because I think I'm reliable. I think I'm hardworking. Uh, I think I'm relentless in many ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I might be hauling a load full of Ferraris. Like, that could be a good way to you know, bring the two <laughs> things together. But yeah. I, I think a hardworking, reliable, 
big semi is probably probably what I'm the closest to. There you go. Well, that's why I asked that question. I always want people to to try to delve a little deeper into who they really are. So, and you're the first Freightliner, so that's great. <laughs> Very nice. All right, Brian, we're entering what I call the last lap, and you're a racer. Right. You know what this means. The white flag is out, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure, let's do it. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably uh, put the wrench down, which is uh, something my crew chief tells me. Put the wrench down. (laughs) All right. I like that. Can you elaborate on that just a bit? I know this is the last lap, but what does he mean by that? Uh, So I have a degree in mechanical engineering, but I have always been a computer guy. So my mechanical skills... They are much better than they used to be, but let's just say I tend to bleed whenever I pick up a wrench, okay. so uh, sometimes it's better that I put the wrench down. I like it. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes? Exercising first thing in the day, staying in good shape, and the other thing would be uh, getting things done. It's a, like a efficiency methodology. Fantastic. Do you have a resource, just one you could share with the Cars Yow listeners you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website you really like or a blog that you receive? Yeah. Ross Bentley, who's a, a well-known coach that you've interviewed, mm-hmm. uh, has Speed Secrets Weekly. Yes. It's a weekly newsletter with uh, driving and racing tips in it. And man, that's phenomenal. It is great. Ross is a great guy too. Could you share yeah. one book with our listeners that you've really enjoyed reading? The book that's changed my life more than any other probably is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> yes. It's a great book. It's been recommended by many of my guests and been around forever, but it's a fantastic book. I've given that copies of that to both my kids. Totally changes how you think about people and how you interact with folks in the world. It's great. Yeah, great book. Well, listeners, you can find all these resources that Brian has shared with us at carsya.com slash Brian Gidinelli. And Brian's last name is G-H-I-D-I-N-E-L-L-I. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and you know what that means. The race is almost over here. And this last question can be a real doozy for some folks. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like, even if it's Italian, what would that car be and why? I think that's easy. I would take Mario Andretti's Lotus 77, that car that I had on my dresser as a kid. Okay. You know, I have a friend who has that car. He races it. Vintage racing. Oh, no kidding? Yep, yep. He's driven it all over the world, and uh, yeah, fantastic car. And Mario even came out one time to a track and and drove the car again while he was there. That was a really special day for him. So, If he puts it up for sale, uh, I want to be first in line. (laughs) I'll give him a call for you. Well, Brian, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've so enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in Mario's race car? I think uh, I've been very blessed to pursue my passion in life. And I think if any of us are going to spend the majority of our adult lives doing something, the number one thing you can do to yourself uh, to lead a good life is to pursue something you care about. And so that's what I would uh, hope for all of your listeners to do. Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing in your business? Well, there's not a lot of Gidinellis in the world, and there's not a lot of them online, so it's relatively <laughs> easy to find me. Uh, you can find me just by searching Gidinelli on Google, but I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Generally speaking, if you just look for Gidinelli, uh, I've already got it. And then your business, you have a website as well for that? Yep. Motorsport Reg, it's reg.com, is where you can find uh, and attend motorsport events across the world, but especially in North America. And racehero.io is our new live timing app 
for club racing, pro racing, et cetera. Excellent. Well, listeners, again, you can find everything Brian shared with us on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just put Brian into the search box and his page will pop right up. Thank you, Brian, for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.